Businesses are not NGOs. We are businesses. We're for profit. But at the same time, you know, we want to leave a decent legacy behind. So it's delivering on that how. It's not about not doing business. It's just trying to figure out the best way to do so. Hello and welcome to the Gross Profit Podcast. My name is James Kennedy. I'm the CEO at ProcurementExpress.com. We're the software that takes the hassle out of managing your company's purchasing with magical features. And this week I'm joined by Patricia Kane, a sustainability consultant, expert guru, influencer, all of the above from Pragmatica.ie. And um, I'll get into in a little second why is here, but maybe Pat, you can say hello and just introduce yourself for everyone. Fabulous. Thanks for having me, James. Hello, everyone. I am a sustainability strategist. Um, I have recently joined Pragmatica.ie, as you mentioned, as Chief Sustainability Officer. I'm also the founder of Reusey, a one-stop shop for sustainable living products. I'm a writer. I have a column in the Irish Tatler, and I'm a speaker. I go around talking to whoever wants to listen to me about sustainability. So that's it in a nutshell. Great. Well, you're the perfect person. I'll tell you why we're chatting. And, uh, you know, this is the Gross Profit Podcast, not the wooliest subject in the world. We're all about the numbers and the spreadsheets over here. But um, over the last, say, six months, it started to come up from, you know, friends and customers and contacts that uh, ESG is no longer something that you stick on a website and put in your marketing collateral. It's becoming very real and it's having a, a real financial impact. You're chief sustainability officer. You don't get that title without having a passion for the subject. So what's What's your story? How did you come to be interested in this? I'm originally from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil, and I was born and raised by the sea. So I joked that we didn't have a green lawn, but we did have plenty sand and, and sea, which was very lovely. So in a way, I guess, you know, caring for the environment was embedded and to us from, uh, I suppose, a young age, you know, spending our time by the beach and whatnot. So I grew up in a family that was very much into gardening and growing vegetables and animals and whatnot. So I guess, again, another factor that very much helped. I always knew I wanted to work with something that had some purpose. And long and behold, I started working for telecommunications, not very much in line with my goals, but so far so good. Really enjoyed my time. Ended up uh, finding myself in Jamaica, working for an Irish company called Digicel. After a few years there, I met my now husband and we spent five to six years uh, with Digicel, different markets in the Caribbean and, and Central America. And we decided to move to Dublin. And again, I had that burning desire of working for something purposeful. Uh, ended up working for, for online betting. Not very much in line once again with my goals, <laughs> but uh, but a fantastic experience. I worked for Paddy Power. I worked for Betfair. And then after the merger, I, I was working for Flutter Entertainment. I used to be director of customer experience for the group. And it was a fabulous learning curve. But during my time with uh, Flutter, and in customer experience, you know, I got the chance to implement and lead on what they call fair game, which is their diversity, inclusion and equity group. 
within Paddy Power Betfair Plus, right? And all of the other businesses. And that's when I really realized there's something here that I'm going to have to try. And in, initially, I thought it was related to CSR, you know, your corporate social responsibility. I'm going to go into that. And how can we support community programs and whatnot? But funnily enough, life works in mysterious ways. And I found myself pregnant with my second child. And I said, you know what? I'm going to trial a business concept during my maternity leave. So that was my project. Some would say the baby would have been the project for maternity leave. <laughs> I launched my, my business reusy. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, so much so that I went back to study to learn about sustainability, formal, like seek formal education, I guess. And um, from there, I knew life would never go back to where it was. The more I, 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 I suppose, learned about sustainability, the more interested I became. And I could feel that it was something that was bubbling. And, you know, eventually we would need to talk about it. That it was no longer a matter of if, it was a matter of when, in my opinion, right? And long and behold, Obviously, now here we are talking regulations and whatnot, directives and whatnot, right? So um, time went by. I did miss the corporate side of things. And I started working with businesses, small and large, and bringing sustainability into the boardroom, as I like to say. So started with workshops, you know, group dynamics, lunch and learn sessions and whatnot. And then I realized, look, I think I can help more. I started then consulting with businesses um, bringing a lot of what I had learned in my previous career and then marrying that with sustainability principles and concepts that I, I, I was learning and, and, you know, I was so, so passionate about. Um, and then funnily enough, most recently, one client in common between myself and Pragmatica and Jill Peters, our CEO, um, Jill was looking for someone to, to help her with strategic side of things, right? The measurement was there, carbon footprint measurement and all that good stuff. So we were able to measure the size of the problem, but then that reduction plan and, you know, what sort of strategies coming in and how we're going to communicate that, what's the customer or your client experience after you understand what your steps are, that was missing. So we connected and then long story short, here we are. And obviously, having worked for businesses, I think it's really important, James, to be very clear with everybody listening. And in general, you know, businesses are not NGOs. We are businesses. We're for profit. And we, but at the same time, you know, we want to leave a decent legacy behind. So it's delivering on that how. How do you do business? It's not about not doing business. It's just trying to figure out the best way to do so. So I am a, I'm a, highly passionate about that sort of thing and and i think you know that adds to my to my fire there's a lot of jargon here i'll be honest if someone is new to this topic where you mentioned csr and esg is there a difference and what is it yeah so esg would be this framework that is primarily used to evaluate a company's performance and risk right so it is a framework that was put together based on obviously three factors. One is environment, the other is social aspects, and the other is governance. And then the idea is to really 
bulletproof your business. Uh, as you mentioned yourself, you know, banks are, are being told they need to invest in green initiatives. You know, we are being like businesses are being asked if they're going through a tender, mainly with government, um, you know, bodies and whatnot. You know, what are they doing on that front? So you are really doing it because it's the right thing to do, but with the ultimate goal of protecting your business against any sort of risks that are out there. So if you think of environment, for instance, um, factors in there could include, you know, a company's environmental impact, such as its carbon footprint, which is nothing but, you know, the calculation of all of those emissions, greenhouse gases emissions that are created for the company to run. Uh, we're looking into use of natural resources. We're looking into waste management, energy consumption and whatnot. Um, if you think of social factors, you know, they will refer to a company's impact on society, you know, including the treatment of their employees, customers, and yes, the wider community as well, and suppliers included. So that's very key. And then lastly, governance. Um, we're looking at factors such as, you know, board composition, diversity, executive compensation. You know, it really relates to a company's internal management and decision-making processes. In a nutshell, if you don't deliver on your ESG promises, you're not going to get your bonus. You know, so it's becoming really serious. And it's a great thing, you know. Um, right now, companies that score well on ESG metrics, they are perceived as and much more accountable and obviously sustainable. And that can lead into increased investor interest and obviously social impact, better access to capital and, you know, other things like your brand reputation. It will eventually, invariably, I'd say, uncover uh, cost efficiencies and, and that sort of thing, drive innovation. So, there are plenty of benefits. It's no longer just a fluffy cost. It's an investment in the future of your business. Let's look at the the numbers here. So I, when I'm doing my pension every year, I have a choice to, you know, put into a, an ESG fund or a socially responsible fund or, you know, not the regular ones. And, and I believe there are even funds out there which are anti-ESG funds if you wanted to. I can see how if I put my pension money in there, eventually the banks go out. And then they, when they're lending that out, out to businesses or they're buying those stocks, that becomes part of the incentive, which which I guess is how it ends up in the finance team when they're looking at looking at their financing for the coming year and the banks will have, they have to incentivize. Where's the pressure? Is it purely that they have been given funds by people like me ticking the box on my pension funds that's incenting the banks to incent, you know, to encourage people to improve their ESG consultants or or is it the government making them? Is it coming through the ballot box or is it coming through pension funds or where is the pressure coming from? Right now, we have formal pressure, I guess, if you want to call it, you know, if you look at the International Sustainability Standards Board, you know, it's a framework that uh, is establishing a very comprehensive global baseline for sustainability related financial disclosures for capital markets. So, you know, it will be applied to every jurisdiction eventually. And the idea is that, you know, businesses are already planning for that implementation now. So in there, you're going to have your climate related disclosures, general sustainability disclosures. So you're looking into, you know, banks having to basically prove that, look, we are investing on green funds or green pension or whatever it is, you know, um, because they will be told they have to. There are lots of 
different, I suppose, directives and regulation coming at different bodies, government bodies, you know, private businesses and whatnot. It, you know what? I always say it's almost the analogy of the seatbelt, right? In the 80s, I remember sitting in the trunk of my, my dad's car, no seatbelt, like tons of kids in that car and nobody cared. Suddenly you have regulation. If you don't wear your seatbelt, you're going to get a fine, right? Now our kids, they come into cars, they get into the car, they put the seatbelt on. They don't even know why they're doing this because their kids, they have, they don't have that imminent threat. Oh, I'm going to crash or can hurt myself. No, they just do it because it's the way things are done. So regulation is coming at us. Banks, businesses, you know, anyone will have to prove we're doing the right thing. Otherwise, we will get that fine, that slap on our hands, and it will hurt, right? So to the point that eventually and hopefully that will become as natural as just putting your seatbelt on. This is coming uh, to the ballot box. So because regulations come from somewhere because politicians voted in and obviously the rise, rise of green parties across Europe the last 20 years now is coming to fruition in terms of so other regulatory pressures when it comes to banks, the politicians get to write the rules, I guess. So let's talk about the size of the businesses that need to worry about this. So the people that I hear impacted by this in terms of their lending rates and so on are fairly big businesses, thousands of employees. And what's the timeline for where smaller businesses will not be able to ignore it anymore. By next year, so 2024 slash 2025, you know, businesses that meet two of the or more, I suppose, of these following criteria will have to start reporting on their sustainability, you know, strategy, basically, right, approach. So you either have to have its end or, okay, 250 plus employees, uh, turnover of 40 million euro or more, assets of 20 million euro or more, or you have to be a listed company. Listed small businesses will have an extra three years to comply. But if you are a big business like that, you know, meeting two or more of these criteria I just mentioned, yes, you're going to have to start reporting next year. Otherwise, we're looking into 2020, 2029. Okay. And then by 2029... What's that threshold just going to be smaller? Do you know what the threshold is going to be? So basically everybody else, smaller. Business. Everybody. That's SME. it. So, yeah. so does this come from like, you know, my babysitter up or? No, 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 no. So basically businesses, established businesses with a certain okay. number of employees. I don't want to say because I can't quite remember the exact number. But yeah, so established SMEs basically. We'll put it in the footnotes, but let's assume it's going to be someone with five employees or more or something like that. And all of the measures we've been talking about here sound quite qualitative. How do you address that? How do you make something which is inherently qualitative, like, or can be, how do you start to put numbers around it? The first step here, and, you know, this is something that, you know, I would obviously talk about when we're talking about Pragmatica, you know, you will measure, right? It's what they say is Peter Drucker, right? What you can't measure, you can't manage. Mm -hmm. so business, you know, school, page one, chapter one. <laughs> um, so the idea is there is there for us to start measuring the carbon emissions that your business, I suppose, um, generates. And that is split into three different uh, 
I suppose, buckets, let's call it. So it's a scope reporting. So if you think of scope number one, it's all those direct emissions that will happen from sources that are controlled or owned by your business. So you're thinking of a fuel, your vehicles. So basically anything that is associated with your business today that you own, right? If you think of scope number two, that's your indirect emissions. So uh, associated with the purchase of electricity, steam or heating or cooling. Um, and then obviously a result of any sort of energy that you consume. And then you have scope three, which is the most challenging one of them because it's indirect emissions. And we're looking into, you know, all those emissions that will happen, you know, in the value chain of your company. So you're thinking of how clients use your products or your services, how they dispose of those and so on. So it's a bit more complex to measure. But we're not absolutely not telling businesses, go, go away and measure that yourselves and come back to us with a plan. Nobody expects businesses that have a full-time job in front of them to stop everything and start measuring those. And that's why, you know, companies like Pragmatica, for example, exist because we can go in and do that whole monitoring and measuring for you in a way that at the end of the day, you're going to get your, so this is how many tons of carbon your business generates on a yearly basis, right? To measure by year. What are we going to do? What's the reduction strategy then? And then we can come in again and help you with that. But the first thing is to measure. So for small, like really small businesses, you know, you can start with very simple steps. Yeah. So if you think of, I don't know, a business that's almost like a sole trader with more two people helping out, you know, I'm always saying start with understanding your business impact, you know, run an audit yourself, try and figure it out. You know, what is it that you buy for your business? What is it that you use on a daily basis? Where are people coming from? Or do you work from home? Do you own your facilities? Like, where's your electricity coming from? Is it renewable? You know, if not, can it be, you know, all of those things. And if you have like an, a warehouse or so, do you, you, do you have like sensors? Do you have LED bulbs? So run a business audit. Usually the advice would be someone who is responsible for that as a side hustle during the day. Yeah. Put a few hours a week to, to look into that. So once you understand that status quo, I guess the idea is to figure out what are the big ticket items here. So energy is always one. Yeah. Commuting will be a big one. Printing. So waste management will be a big one. You know, Jill, our CEO at Pragmatica will always tell you one of our clients, you know, used to print these heavy, beautiful magazines and they were extremely carbon heavy, which means that's like, can we transform a magazine into something that's an e-magazine? Yeah. So you no longer print anything and there's no shaping. So there's not you know, the transportation emissions and all, none, all of that, none of that is there anymore. So once you have your big ticket items, you will try and set up targets, timelines, owners and whatnot. So start small, you know, if you're only a small business and you're only starting your journey, try and, and get a grip on what's going on, have an idea, you know, and then you try to reduce your emissions. I'm always saying, you know, use that Pareto law, you know, look at the 20% of your suppliers, for example, that represent 80% of your purchases. Yeah. Can you talk to those? Uh, if they're sending products to you, you know, can you talk about packaging? I don't want any more plastic. Or instead of multiple deliveries a week or a month, can you give me 
two big ones. And can we agree on payment terms for those, you know, and start calling them into the conversation rather than calling them out because nobody wants to be called out. You know, let's make sure that that sustainability mindset is embedded through your strategy. Throughout, I'm always saying, don't don't create sustainability as a standalone pillar, a dusty pillar that is there. Just as you said, James, at the beginning, you know, just for the website, just to look good. No, we want to embed sustainability throughout your journey, through every pillar of your business. So, if it's customer experience, if it's community, if it's like you know your own employees, you know the well-being. Make sure sustainability is embedded through everything you do, because that is the only way really you're going to get that sustainable by- mindset going. You know, and it's not going to be a oh yeah, end sustainability. You know, it can no longer be that. And always remembering that a brand or a businesses, you know, uh, sustainability practices will influence purchase, purchasing and hiring decisions. People will want to buy from you or not, or people will want to work for you or not, based on what you are, you know, the bigger picture and how you contribute to that, I believe. So the scope one, two, and three. Let's go back to this for a second because I yeah. I've read it I read it about four or five times. Every time I think I've got it, and then I, I walk away and I realize I don't. So, can you walk me through the computer we're looking at right now? How does that fit into that framework, like in terms of physically, yeah. and then the power it uses, and then where it came from? What would be scope one, so, two, and three there? Scope one will be the energy that you're using right now to power your computer, mm-hmm. and then how you got to work, right? Um, or I suppose if you have a company car. Yeah. Or if you have forklifts or if you have trucks, you know, company vehicles. Okay. So we could just stop, stop there. So energy and heat generation at your facilities. Yeah. At your office or warehouse, whatever. And then your company vehicles. These are great examples. Okay. Well, let's choose, let's, let's, let's stick to the computer because I always get confused when I think about this. Okay. So I got it. So there's electricity going into my computer right now. I got that. That's scope one. And then, so in in terms of my computer, what's scope two there? Because scope one is the electricity. I got that's powering it. Scope two is? All the other electricity you're using, like it's all the steam and heat and cooling systems. So you're indirect emissions. So you're not using necessarily to deliver what it is that you do which in your case, you know, your software, it's all the other electricity. Okay. So scope two is what I deliver to a customer, the carbon footprint of that. Is it like the cost of goods sold? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there in finance speak. Yeah. Okay. All right. I got this. So scope two is what I need to, my overhead, let's think about this in terms of the P&L, speaking the language for my customers. It's like my overhead, what I need to keep the show on the road, uh, head office, uh, travel to meetings, all these things. Scope two then... It gets a bit hairy in our instance, but let's imagine I'm selling, if I'm a software company, it's, I guess it's the servers that we're hiring to deliver the service. It's the internet connection. Yeah. A good way of looking at that is like scope one is your direct emissions that you as a business generate uh, while you're performing your business activities. While scope two is your indirect emissions from the purchased energy. So exactly what you said. And then scope three is everything else. So I almost thought I had it and then I lost it. So scope scope two is, okay, it's not the products I deliver to my customers. So scope one is what we call your direct emissions, right? So direct emissions that are owned or controlled by your company. So for instance, you know, we're talking about emissions from sources that you as a business owns or controls directly, such as 
you know, burning, uh, burning fuel in the company's fleets, your fleet, so your vehicles, right? If obviously they are not electrically powered. So that is a scope one. So you control those emissions because you are the one putting petrol in your car. So you can do your deliveries or you can visit a client or whatever it is that you do. Scope two and three, they are the indirect emissions. So you do not, you pay for them, but you don't control them. In the mm-hmm. sense of, you know, we're looking at, so scope two, we're looking at indirect emissions. So it's it's emissions that your company will cause indirectly that will come from the purchased energy um, that you use to produce whatever it is that you do. So for example, it could be the emissions caused by the generation of electricity that's used in your buildings. Okay. So you're paying for these to come in, but you're not the one defining you know, mm-hmm. I suppose how much goes into that tank. You're just using it. Mm-hmm. And then scope three, still called indirect, and is everything else that's not like directly owned or controlled by yourself or purchase electricity, everything else then falls into that. So when your company buys, uses, or dispose of any products from your suppliers, all the way to how people dispose of the products that you produce. I think I got this now. So if I have a choice between two products, let's say electric car or ice car, is that what they call them? So yeah. I, I can I can decide that. So that's scope one, because I have power over which which one I'm going to use, or maybe the bulbs in the in the office, right? So the yeah. bulbs that I've yeah. yeah. Uh scope two, I can choose between electricity providers, but I can't do anything about what their footprint is. So it's much more what vendor I can choose is the only decision I have to the make. The best there. possible vendor. Yeah, you would yeah. go with the best possible, the more, I suppose, the greener one. And then three is anything that doesn't fit into either of those categories where you maybe stuff that I have to buy, I have no choice over, maybe, but it's just a fact of life. You still pick up some of that. So Yeah, your suppliers and then how people will interact with whatever it is that you do. And the end of a life cycle, if you're talking about a physical product, for example, you know. So let's talk about the measurement then. So the measurement, let's say um, uh, for a construction company and they're thinking about they need to build a, a data center, let's say, and they're mm-hmm. choosing about their uh, choosing their vendors. How do, they, how do they know what their score is? How is that score calculated? And what can they do about those scope one emissions? They sound like the ones that we can actually influence other than changing supplier, right? Yeah. So day to day, I'm on site, I need to buy whatever, a thousand yards of concrete or whatever, I have to decide right there what impact that's going to have on my ESG score mm-hmm. and walk me through. What- There's a very complex calculator behind this whole thing, right? So mm-hmm. whenever we go into a business, we're going to be going through literally how many pens did they buy last year, how many sheets of paper they bought last year, all the way to like, who are your suppliers? You know, uh, if you are buying concrete, for example, you know, who you're buying that from, where is it coming from, how is it being delivered, you know, and so on. So based on whatever it is that you do, you will come out of that with a a score of how many tons of CO2, so carbon dioxide, your company generates. And um, it could be that the worst thing that you do is tell your employees to come to the office every day. You know, um, we have a client at the moment that commuting is a big challenge for them because you have employees driving an hour and a half every day to come to the office. So it could be that the answer is not necessarily down to where your cement or concrete, I don't know where that's coming from. It could be down to like your 
policies, you know, your 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 work from home or not hybrid models and all of that. So, but the idea is that we are going to input all of that data into the calculator. And obviously that's our secret sauce. So we're not going to go into that. You can call us if you want to learn more about that. But um, we're going to input all of that data. And at the end of the day, you're, you're going to receive a score. And that score will tell you if you're heavy on, it could be people, commuting, et cetera. It could be your energy. It could be your supply chain. It could be waste. It could be several different factors. And the idea is that we're going to then try to work with you to reduce those factors as much as we can. Keep it in mind that you're never going to get to zero, zero, right? Even when companies say they're net zero, you know, zero is a very strong statement. You know, we're looking into companies probably doing the best they can to reduce and then they offset somehow the whatever is left there. Okay, so the... Uh, whatever electric car sitting in my driveway is supposedly net zero, but they did that by buying a bunch of rainforest somewhere or some other, or investing on green funds. Yeah, that sort of thing. Investing, uh, on, you know, like it, it could be investing on a community initiatives and you know, like life changing programs somewhere in the world where people are highly impacted by climate change. Okay, so this is interesting. So Pragmatica gives me a score, which obviously is only comparable. Is it only comparable against yourself? Well, so it's yeah, not like you have industry industry standards and I suppose baselines that you can compare, but really you are competing with yourself, yeah. right? You're competing with your last year self. Hmm. Yeah? So that's how that's how it works. Some companies, let's take that example, work from home. So companies will make a decision uh, and it's a very topical thing at the moment about work yeah. from home you know a lot of companies tech companies are calling people back into the office because they're claiming the productivity hit is too high to have people at home so do you see a situation where companies are deciding how to compete they're deciding well yeah we could be more sustainable but we are going to have a productivity hit for that because we, we don't really know it's not always going to be the case that being more sustainable is more productive. You know what, James, I think it's finding the balance. You know, it might be that you have, say, for example, three red flags. One is commuting, one is waste, and one is energy, right? So it could be that when it comes to to commuting, it's not something that you're ready to be a bit more open about it, you know, a hybrid model, but you can do plenty when it comes to waste and energy. So start there. You know, there is always going to be somewhere where you can start. And, you know, again, we're not here to jeopardize business and to tell you to do, you know, to to not do what you are here to do. We're just telling you, like, are there better ways? And it's not that it's going to be one thing that you can do and it's going to solve all your problems, right? It's It's a jigsaw puzzle. So what are the other pieces? What are all the pieces? And that's why the measurement is so important. Because you can see all those wonky pieces, yeah, that need mm -hmm. fixing. And you can decide then where do I start? Obviously, some for some companies, energy is gonna be crazy because if you if you drive like through the city, for example, on any given evening, you know, you will see floors and floors and floors lit, like light on, right? With nobody left in there because everybody's gone home. Why is that happening? You know, is that the best use of energy? Probably not. So there will always be massive ticket items there. And uh, commuting can be one, but it might not be your priority. So 
again, it's a matter of looking at your business, what's going on, and figuring out where to start. But then these goals very much, it varies very much according to, to the size of your business, the kind of your business, the size of the problem, and so on. Well, today, I can imagine, I mean, when it comes to recruitment, if your values at a company are focused on sustainability and that helps you attract the right talent, that can be a, a clear way, reason that you could help you know, attract better people. And then so it sounds like companies will have to at least pick a side at this at some stage. They're going to have to decide whether they're drinking the Kool-Aid or they're going to go another way and it'll come out in the wash. And I guess the consumer or the political sort of impact of this and that we're in a market where, you know, improved sustainability is something that's in the air and that there's a lot of demand for will ultimately nudge us in the right direction. Yeah, like there was a research that came out there, actually had a note, a Deloitte research that found that 65% of like, say, middle class in Ireland are choosing sustainable purchasing, which means Mm -hmm. that they are willing to pay for whatever it is that's considered sustainable, being it organic fruit or, you know, an electric car. So there is obviously an appetite from the average consumer out there, I guess, um, for more sustainable practices from businesses. And that will eventually reflect on where people want to work. Yeah. So last week, myself, Jill and Donald from Pragmatica, we were all visiting an engineering company. And uh, honestly, I had zero expectations that, you know, hiring would be one of the reasons why they wanted us in. And turns out it was the main reason because they said our engineers, they really care. And we were all like, wow. So it's no longer just like one of the big fours, you know, stats, you know, percentages that you see on a piece of paper, but you don't really see it happening in real life. It's here. And, you know, we're not talking about an incredibly huge business. We're talking about a good business, but um, it just shows that it's at every level. People care and they they want to feel proud. And I suppose they want to know they are doing something and the company they work for is doing something to, to help. I think that's a nice place to wrap it up. Thanks, Pat, for giving us this insight and bearing with me till we got to uh, got me to understand some of this stuff. Uh, if people want to find out more, where can they reach out to you? Well, thank you very much. First of all, you can find us at pragmatica.ie. We're also on LinkedIn and um, I am packing on uh, social media. If you're going to look for me, um, that's it. 